Church, let's pray. God, we, we bow our heads. We often bend our knees in total worship of who you are. Lord, the fact that the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God would come down to earth in the form of a baby. Lord, the human mind can't truly comprehend it, though we often think that we can. It's truly the picture of goodness, of grace, of mercy, not just because of the baby, because of, but because of what he did. And God, as we go about this season, help it to not be just another Christmas, but one that we truly keep our eyes on you. Emmanuel, God with us. Three of the most powerful words to ever come out of the mouth of anybody. God with us. Father, we are truly thankful. And it's this day that we know that it's more more commonly accepted to proclaim the truth of your Son. Help us to do that. Those of us that know you, those of us that have our faith and our trust in you, help us to proclaim that love this season. God, posture our hearts for just 15 minutes to hear your word. Lord, use me. Allow me to become less so that you can become more. It's in your son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. Christmas Eve. Consider the setting. Maybe you think of what the world would have been like before the birth of King Jesus. There was hostility at all fronts, both politically and religiously. A census was about to be taken so that all the citizens of the nations could be accounted for and taxes could be paid. Kings and emperors were beginning to get on edge and, and make all attempts to continue to gain power and control throughout their empire. And now this hostility was reaching a new level as rumor began to swirl that a baby was to be born of a virgin, that this baby would then become a king who was to have the government rest on his shoulders. This was no ordinary baby. It was at the height of this tension, my friend, that a baby was born. This baby was not a normal baby. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was born with the end in mind. Upon leaving his heavenly throne, he, he knew what had to be done. He had to die as a ransom for all those who had put their faith in him. And in the meantime, he was going to experience pain, suffering, and loss. In the words of Spurgeon, he that made man was made man. But even in the darkest of the world, he would heal the sick and heal the lame. He would intercede for a woman caught in the act of adultery. He would stand up to the lawmakers and the legalistic teachers for the sake of the powerless. 
In the darkest of times, the word became flesh and demonstrated a love that the human mind still to this day can't fully comprehend. Now, the passage that we're going to be covering this this evening is really, it's just one single verse. It's, It's not a book. It's not a chapter. It's not a portion of a chapter, but one single verse. We're going to get in and out of here real quick. (laughs) Give your kid a sucker. By the time that they're done, I'll be done. And then you can deal with the sugar high afterwards, okay? (laughs) Though it's just a simple verse, the verse summarizes the entire gospel and the entire Bible in just 24 words. It explains our motivation as Christians and the decisions that we make and lifestyle that we live, and it really explains the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. Though it's one single verse, and I believe that many would agree is the most commonly referenced verse throughout Scripture, it's often the most difficult verse to preach on because it really speaks for itself. It's so simple that a young child can comprehend it, yet it's so deep that a theologian can spend their entire life trying to fully understand it and its impact that it has on humanity. Now, my friend, if you're struggling to grasp the simplicity of the Christian faith, read this passage not just today, but get it ingrained in your mind and in your heart, because if you can grasp the following verse, your life will never be the same. The verse is this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, listen to this, should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16, feel free to follow along with me. You could do a simple Google search, it'll pop up. You can grab the Bible in front of you, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. You can use the app on your phone. This verse is all over the place. John 3, 16. We're going to take it in bite-sized pieces. For God so loved the world. Our first point for this morning, God's love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. You know, when John wrote here that God loved the world, he didn't write that he loved all that the world does. You see, there's a huge difference. Christians can so easily get this text misconstrued, and and they can use it to justify sin. You know, there there are many different verses throughout Scripture that, that even declare that the Christians should not love anything in the world. But what is being made clear here is that God loves all the people in the world despite their opposition to him, all of them. He loves all of them. God so loved the world. He's saying that because of the true gospel, his love comes with no strings attached, no more sacrifices to be made, and no works to be done. For God so loved the world, but I need you to hear this. All eyes. Unconditional love does not mean all-inclusive love or all-affirming love. 
There's a huge difference between unconditional and all-inclusive or, or all-affirming. All it's, it's dangerous when you confuse all-affirming with unconditional because all-affirming says that you can do and be whoever you want. And God will give you a, a thumbs up. Having this, this misunderstanding is detrimental to the faith. We're seeing this in our world today. And because there are kids here, I'm not going to get into the exact reasons as to why we're seeing it in our world. But you see, unconditional love is not all-inclusive or all-affirming. It is all-accepting, but all-accepting comes with sanctification or life change. And if you're not spurred to change as a result of putting your faith in Christ, you must ask yourself if you've really put your faith in Christ. If John was to, was to stop here and leave it at, for God so loved the world, the reader would be left without motivation to change or, or even have a reason to look to Christ for salvation. Because though his love is unconditional, it forces change in the life of the one who loves him in return. I've heard it said like this, God doesn't need anybody, he wants everybody. You see, God's love is unconditional to those who want to receive it. But he is so good. He's so loving, so merciful that he leaves us with a choice. We get to decide. You get to decide. There are so many that are here today that have not been to church in a very long time. Maybe ever. Or you've been in churches that you've that you've been taught some legalistic lifestyle that you have to earn your way to heaven. You have to do good deeds. You have to pray in a certain way or, or put on a certain act on Sundays. But the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, it's not by works that you have been saved, but by the grace of God. And this grace can't be earned. It is not deserved. And it can't be paid for because it has already been bought by Jesus Christ who so loved the world so much that he left his heavenly throne to die the gruesome death on a cross, bearing the weight of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Are you with me tonight? But it doesn't end there. Just three days after his death, he fulfilled his promise, and he rose up from that grave, walked out of the tomb, and, and conquered humanity's greatest enemy, all to prove that by faith, in him, my friend, you too can have eternal life. This is for anyone that wants to trust him as Lord and Savior. His love is unconditional, and those that have trusted him know this to be true. Let's keep reading. That he gave his only son. That he gave his only son. Point number two, God's love is sacrificial. God's love is sacrificial. Romans 5, verses 7 and 8 says this, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, who knows this? Christ died for us. God sacrificed his son for the very people that wanted to kill him. He sent the one son that he had. 
If you think that this is radical in our culture today, back in the time that this was written, the oldest son was the most respected and most worthy of honor. And if a family was to have only one son, how much more so? But here we have the word that became flesh, God himself leaving heaven, putting skin on, knowing exactly what he was to accomplish, living his life with the cross in mind and willingly taking upon death so that you and I can have life. Not only did God sacrifice his son, he sacrificed himself. And there was nothing that would stop him. And my friend, let me tell you that if he had to do it all over again, he would. But he doesn't have to. The, the sacrifice that was made fulfilled all that was necessary for eternal life for those who believe. The victory has been won. Satan has been defeated. Death overcome. God now invites you and I to join in on this victory because of what he has done. But you see, love, love is unique. Because it's the only gift that's also a fruit for the Christian. It's a gift in the sense that he sent his one and only son to demonstrate the love that he has for us. But it's a fruit because it's the very identity of the Christian life. It's sacrificial and it's self-denying. It's the way that God demonstrated his love for us and it's the DNA of how we demonstrate Christ to the world. You know, when you take love out of the Christian life, you're essentially taking the cross out of the gospel. And when you take the cross out of the gospel, you don't have a gospel at all. You just got a feel-good story. God grants his people various gifts to be his hands and feet and show his love to the world, but what good are the hands and feet if they don't have a heart? My friend, God's love is sacrificial. Let's keep moving. That whoever believes in him should not perish. So let's read this through. For God so loved the world, his love is unconditional, that he should not perish. God's love is redemptive. Point number three. God's love is redemptive. This part of the, the, God, the passage is, is, is so important because it's, it's, it's really the gospel in a nutshell. Whoever believes in him should not perish. This isn't a belief of the sort that it sounds good or a, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I hear what you're saying. This, that, that's not what he's talking about. It's a belief that truly applies to every area of your life, a belief that overtakes your own opinions and your thoughts and places them on whatever it is that would please God. It's, it's one that's never perfect, but always striving to become more like Christ. You see, simply believing is not enough. James says it like this, you believe good, even the demons believe and they shudder. This belief is an all-in dedication and devotion to following Jesus. It's truly denying yourself. It's aligning your heart and your mind with 
God's word and crying out, not my will, but yours be done. You'll notice the change happening in your life. Once you truly put your faith in him, you notice you go from darkness to light, from selfishness to selflessness, from pride to humility, from decisions that are focused on you to decisions that are focused on glorifying God. Because when you come to this point, that you are truly living your life for Christ, you realize that the truth that you will not perish alone is worthy of praising God. But God's love for you does not stop there. It goes on to eternity where you can rest knowing that your soul is in the palm of the hand of the one who created you. Let's finish up our text for this morning. God's, but have, sorry, it goes like this, but have eternal life. This is the blessing that keeps on going. But have eternal life. Point number four, God's love is eternal. God's love is eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This love that Christ has for you existed long before you were formed, long before you were born, and it will last forever. This love proves that every decision you make has an impact on the eternal life. R.C. Sproul said it like this, right now, counts forever. Right now counts forever. What is equally important about this passage is the last word right there, but have eternal life. Life. Eternal life means that there is also an eternal death. And this eternal death is is forever in darkness, forever separated by God. But eternal life, my friend, This is the best that it gets. Words can't explain it. The mind can't comprehend it. Pain and and suffering is no more. Sin is non-existent. Death has no sting. Sickness and disabilities wiped away. Every tear of mourning gone. And that's just the beginning. Above all these things is eternal life in the presence of the one that came to die to give it to you. The faith and hope that we now have will be tangible in the person of Jesus. We'll be able to sit at his feet, to to see the scars in his hands, to hear of his goodness and to see it and to fall at his feet and praise him for who he is. And it is then that he will look at you. If you have truly given your life to him and he will look you in the eyes and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, renowned preacher Alistair Begg had a beautiful illustration of the goodness and grace of God that still to this day turns theologians on their heads. In Luke 23, it's a story of of the thief on the cross. So many are familiar with it. And and as you know, Jesus was crucified next to two others, and and these two other men were, were getting crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. 
And one of these, these men said, said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to this, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, you got to go and get baptized. He didn't say, go to seminary. He didn't say, read your Bible from cover to cover, come, with, come up with your theological standpoint on justification by faith, and, and we'll get you up there. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, could you imagine him getting to, to heaven's gates after this, this conversation with our King Jesus from the cross, and, and he gets up there to, to heaven's gates, and, and the man says, How are you, why should I let you in? And the thief looks at him like with his arms up. And this man says, the guy that's the gatekeeper in heaven says, well, well what is your, your theological perspective on justification by faith? You need to really know this stuff if I'm going to let you in. And the guy's like, I don't have any. He's like, well, what do you believe about God's word and, and how, how it's going to get you? This is all, all this stuff you have to know and do and perform and act and, and do all these things. The man's like, the only reason that I'm given access to heaven is because the man on the middle cross said that I could come. And my friend, he offers that same thing to you. If you are here today because a family member brought you in, you were drug in here, you're like, I don't want to go to church. It's Christmas Eve. I got all these cookies and presents, and I want to just enjoy this, this time and relax. Well, Jesus is inviting you to a relationship with him. And let me tell you, he's given you access to the same throne room as myself, as anyone that has put their faith in Jesus. My prayer is that you have heard the gospel today and that you make it your own. That if you have any questions, if there's anything that you want to know about what this relationship with Jesus looks like, please come to me after service. Come to one of our deacons here, one of our leaders, and we will be happy to point you in the right direction. As our band comes up here, Let's pray. So God, we are so grateful for your gospel, for your good news. The fact that you would enter into uh, enter earth as a person to understand what we are going through, to know it, so that you can relate to us, and that you would take on the cross, carrying the weight of our sins. God, allow us to rest knowing that truth. For the soul that's here that doesn't know you, we pray that you give them the courage to ask a question. We pray that they find a, ho a home here, that, that they are comfortable, that they can approach a leader and ask what it looks like to have a relationship with you. And God, of course, we are eternally grateful for sending your son to earth to die on the cross for our sins and not just dying, rising again three days later so that through faith in him we can have eternal life. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.